tonight, I want to really talk about a piece to this foundation. And we're going to talk about how to literally stir yourself to create fervency in your prayer life. Fervency in your prayer life. You could know every scripture about prayer. You could read every book on prayer. And, and you won't have an effective prayer life if you don't understand how to really stir yourself up. Instead of being moved by your emotions, instead of, instead of being moved by circumstances, no, I stir myself up. We're children of God. We are never to be moved from the outside. Nothing on the outside moves us, right? We are moved from the inside. This is very important. Psalm 1-3, as we meditate in his word day and night, as we delight in the word of God, we shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water. That means more than enough provision. Our leaf will never wither. That means it doesn't matter that I'm aging on this earth. Even though my body's subject to the curse still, my spirit's not. And so, yes, I might age, but boy, you'll never, you'll never be able to call me old because of the anointing that grows in my life. My leaf will not wither because the word of God is life to me because I'm constantly finding it, right? The Bible says I'll yield all of my fruit in my season. Isn't that good news? You yielding everything, doing everything in the earth that you're supposed to do has nothing to do with com what comes against you, has everything to do with meditating in the word of God. It's everything. It's everything. The Bible also says that as we, not only will my leaf not wither, I'll yield all my fruit in my season, but everything that I put my hand to will be brought to maturity. That's what that Greek or that Hebrew word prosper means. Notice, I don't have to bring it to maturity. God will bring it to maturity, right? Isn't that cool? We work with him. He doesn't work with us. We flow with him, amen? Amen. So let's talk about this a little bit. Hallelujah. Now we're talking about fervency. So to talk about fervency, we're going to have to talk about cutting away the flesh. Because if we don't do that, you'll never be fervent. So just remember you love your pastor, right? And when the Lord just brings some things, hey, I love it when God corrects me, brings some chastisement from his word. You just are like, you know, I love it when he tells me as a pastor, well, you know, Tony, uh, the church is not, not really where it needs to be and you're, you're a little bit behind the curve on that. And you're just like, okay, you know, it's okay. Well, okay, what do I need to do? You know, help me, right? That's the way God is. His word is life. It always builds you up. It always encourages you. So get ready for that tonight because we're gonna talk about some things that will keep you out of a works mentality It'll help define your identity and get you ready to be able to commune with your God. Prayer is simply communing with him and inviting him to invade your world and invade, bring heaven to this earth, to bring heaven into your circumstances. That's, what we, that's how powerful prayer is. So fervency, that word means eagerness of mind. It means zeal. Man, if you're going to prayer and you're meeting somebody, oh, you know, I've just been praying. Pastor Dave, I've just been praying. I've been, I've been interceding, and you know, just the weight of the world is on me. We just got to, no. You're not in the presence of God. 
Now, sometimes in times of prayer, you'll feel the weight of what you're praying. But man, there's always breakthrough. There's always breakthrough. But many are coming to God, begging him to do what he's already done. You know, like, like we're talking about even on Sundays, you can't leave up to God what he's left up to you, right? So we're going to talk about that. As the Holy Spirit stirs you to pray, fervency increases. So I'm telling you the key to this deal is letting the Holy Spirit stir you to pray. Now the enemy will actually drive you to pray. Man, you need to pray more. You need to do this and do... Have you ever had that happen and then you try to pray and it's like you're pulling a sled of weights up a mountain of mud? It's just all you. No, that's not prayer, right? I'm not going to do anything driven by the enemy. I'm going to do everything stirred by the Holy Ghost. And I know his voice because as I meditate in his word, from Genesis to Maps... There's one voice. It's his voice. This is the word of God. It's his voice. So I, I meditate in the word. I hear his voice all the time. And then when the Holy Spirit starts speaking to me, it's the same voice. So I always know when it's not his voice. Why? Because I know his voice. And another voice I'm not going to follow. And this is a foundation because as the Holy Spirit, this is a big principle, as the Holy Spirit stirs you to pray, fervency will increase you. Okay? What becomes big on the inside of us is what we will pray out fervently. God has some things for you. See, your flesh will not want to get fervent. Your flesh will get fervent about you, right? It's all about you. It's all about right now. But your flesh is not going to get fervent about being stirred by the Spirit of God. So we're talking about prayer is really spirit-to-spirit -spirit communication with God. It's you in that secret place, that place that Jesus went to provide a place for you in him. It's where you lay everything down and you're just with him. You have no other agenda except you want to be with him. And now the Holy Spirit will stir you in this place. You can get lost in this place. You know, when you start out praying, have you ever done this? You're praying and you think you've been praying for hours and you look at the clock and about four minutes went by, right? But I'm telling you, there's a place in him it's so glorious, it's hard to talk about. You have to go there. But we're all going to live there. We're going to go there. And you're going to see God, while you're in there communicating and communing with him, and he's communing with you, on the outside of this secret place, he's out there working everything out in your life. He's preparing everything for you. What becomes big on the inside of us is what will be answered and what will be prayed out fervently, prayed out fervently. One main problem that we have as believers is that we tend, if we let our flesh get the best of us, we get so self-centered that everything's about us 
And the only thing that gets big on the inside of us is us. Now, the bad thing about that is if you're, if you're in that place, you're kind of blind. So you'll think you know what to pray about. And, but before long, it's going to be works. And you're praying for things that you think, I'm so glad God never gave me everything I asked him for. Wow. Because he knows what I need. Right? Years and years ago, as a very young man, you know, I go to this, I hear this minister speak, and I go home. I've told you guys this before, right? And I'm writing down. He said, you got to write down everything you want in a wife or a husband. For two and a half hours, I'm writing stuff down. And about two and a half hours into it, I realized, you know, I have, I, I mean, I'm, I'm like 24 years old. I have no, no, no offense to any 24-year-olds, but I, you know, I have no idea really what I need. So I, I threw that up, and I just threw it in the trash, and I said, Father, you know, right? So this is the way it is in every area of your life. When the Holy Spirit stirs you, you'll get very, it's just, it excites you. Because now you're praying the will of God in his presence. It's stirred by him. There's faith there. And you know whenever you ask anything according to his will, he hears you. And if you know he hears you, you already know you have the petition. So every prayer, I mean, it's awesome. Father, I thank you. I believe I received that. And then you go from that and you live a life of thanksgiving. Because there is no, sometimes God said yes, Sometimes God says no. Sometimes God says, well, you're going to have to wait. Well, the Bible says wait on the Lord, but study that word wait. It means wait in a state of expectancy. Why? Because you already know. Does that make sense? But this, sometimes God says yes, and sometimes God says no, um, that's not here. That was created by religion. So if it's not here, I'm sorry. It might sound really good, but we're going to stick with God's word. One main problem is when believers are so self-centered that the only thing that gets big on the inside of us is our needs being met, this person will get very, they'll, they'll just, they just won't get very far down the road in their prayer life. It's just, it's not, because God wants you to get beyond this need thing that you have. If you look, I don't care how messed up your life might be tonight, it won't take you more than 10 or 15 minutes to pray out every need that you have. And if you have God's word on it, you're done. You believe you receive, and then now you get up and you're like, okay, I have it, so now Holy Spirit, lead me into it. But see, if we're not in the right place, the Holy Spirit will start asking us to do things that's uncomfortable on our flesh, and we'll be like, now wait a minute. You know, wait, wait, I, I want you to get me out of debt, but, but what do you mean sell my car and ride the bus? No, I'm not doing that. Or what do you mean give this away? Right? So when you start out in the right place with the right heart, right, that's what the Holy Spirit does. When you follow him, he'll put you in the right place at the right time with the right heart doing the right thing so that you can receive everything that he has for you. It's the way it works. It's a flow. Self-centeredness steals our ability to have a heart for others. So we want to stay out of our flesh. 
Because I got to tell you, when you get more concerned about others than you are of you, look out, you're going to see some big things happen in your life. Big things. So the key to fervency in prayer is to cut away the things of the flesh. Right? You could either say amen or say ouch, whatever you want to say there, right? You must put away the things of the flesh and completely give yourself over to the Spirit of God. Right? This is, this is a big... Before you ever, before you ever build a prayer life, you have, this is the position you have to be in. And how do I do that? You don't have to know how. You just have to be willing and obedient and the Holy Spirit will lead you right into that. See, when you put away the things of the flesh and you give yourself over to the Holy Spirit, what happens, it causes a sensitivity to take place now in you. You're so sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. You're so sensitive to the things of God that you hear that still small voice giving you what to talk to him about. It's everything. Most Christians, their life is too loud. They never know how to turn this down because they have to get over, they, they get, have to get over their flesh and give themselves to the Spirit of God. But when you do that, there's a sensitivity that happens. And now you're sensitive to his leading and you're sensitive, so sensitive to the things of God. And it leads you down a great path. The Holy Spirit will put his finger on different parts of our flesh. This is hard, but he'll help you embrace and walk free from your flesh. But this is the way he does it, area by area. If you study the Old Testament, the children of Israel taking the promised land is a type of the church walking in their inheritance. So the pattern, it's, a, it's our pattern, it's our example. God, he never sent them to more than one place at once. He always sent them, he said, go to, go to Jericho. Then once, and he says, when you go there, the battle's mine, the victory's yours, then you get fortified there, and then he sends you another place. Right. 10 cities, 28 battles, that was the promised land. One at a time. That's what the Holy Spirit will do for you to help you Cut away the flesh and give yourself wholly to him. It's a progression. It, it's, it's, but, but the journey, you want to enjoy the journey. You just deal, you work out those things he's working in and you'll be okay. Those other 20 areas that you might not know about or you know about, they're not the area right now. Listen to him. Trust him. He has your back. Right? He'll get you in the right place at the right time. Always. So you, area by area. What am I saying? We need the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives to make up the difference between our own inadequacy and sinful and unrighteous behavior. We need him to make up the difference. Now my spirit cannot sin. Romans is very clear with that. But... If I allow the sin nature in my flesh to side with my unrenewed mind, it will take my life in sinful and unrighteous behavior. It'll take me down a wrong path. But I don't have to go there. And if I'll allow the Holy Spirit to help me, 
He makes up the difference between my inadequacy. I am never to be strong in myself. I am to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Does that make sense? This is huge. The call of God, the things of God, make little or no impact on our lives if we're self-centered. The call of God, the things of God, they'll make little or no impact. Oh, we might think that they are, but we could be off doing our own thing. And everything we do in ministry, everything we do in life that's not done as a result of us walking in the faith of God or walking by the faith of God, being led by the Spirit of God, while we're yielding to the love of God, everything that we do apart from that will be burnt up. Won't talk about it in eternity. At the judgment seat of Christ, it'll just go up in flames. Bam, gone. Right? So we might as well learn this. It's a sensitivity. See, when you're sensitive to the things of God, you start to see things from God's perspective. And God's really big at not dealing with symptoms. He deals with core issues. So you won't waste time in prayer, right? People want to start out praying for countries before they even pray for their neighbor or their boss that's giving them trouble or for the person that sits next to them at church for the last 20 years, right? But the Holy Spirit will help us in all of this. The paramount issue of our heart is what will be filled and answered and the paramount issue of our heart, many times, if we're in our flesh, we won't even know what it is. But if we are sensitive to him, we will know. And we'll, we'll, I mean, all of a sudden, it'll become so alive and you'll be stirred to pray and there's faith there. And I mean, I, it's wonderful. The reason why most Christians don't pray is because they're getting no answers. We're gonna see as we go through this study, the Bible talks about that we are, to, we are to literally ask the Father in Jesus' name. And he'll do it for us so that our joy would be full. Our lives are to be marked by answered prayer all the time. But what do we do? We sit here in a sin consciousness feeling like, well, I'm just not really worthy. And so therefore the enemy is just stealing from us. Because we don't know who we are. We don't know who he is and how much he loves us and who we've been made. So now we're praying from a position. We're, not, we're praying from a position of somebody on the outside. Well, you're not on the outside. You have the ear of the creator of the universe. And he's your father. Isn't that amazing? And the Holy Spirit, who knows everything, will tell you exactly how to pray, what to pray, the timing of it, and it, he'll stir you as you give yourself over to him. This is so important. Sanctification, we hear this word. Sanctification, which is being set apart for the master's use. What does that mean? This is his specific plan and purpose for your life. He wants to set you apart for his use for this short season that you're on the earth, you're to yield fruit that remains. You are to, you are to leave an eternal footprint 
in this earth. Because you are born of God, the Bible says you're a world overcomer. The Bible says that great, the greater one lives in you, so you'll never face anything bigger than you. That he'll, he literally closes doors that no man can open. He opens doors that no man can close. He'll be with you in the water. He'll be with you in the fire. He'll be with you in the furnace. There's nothing that can separate you from him. So we start to see who we are. And all of a sudden, when we see who we are, we're like, oh my gosh, I'm in Christ. It does, see, when you start to see who you are in him, it does not cause self-centeredness. It causes God-centeredness. I mean, the enemy will see to it when you start believing God that he brings people into your life that'll say, who do you think you are to think God will do that for you? Right? Well, who do I think I am? I'm his child. This is a cool deal. I didn't have to do anything except just simply believe him. And he made me brand new. And he took all the sin and it was all condemned, Romans chapter 8, in his body on that tree. And now I am free. I am in Christ. How, am I in, how do you know you're in Christ? Who do you think you are? Well, no, no, to be in Christ means the Holy Spirit's on the inside of me. That's, what, that's the definition. So I'm in Christ. How did you get in Christ? How were you made the very righteousness of God in Christ? Oh, it wasn't me. I just simply believed him. The righteousness which is of faith. Right? How does it speak? It tells us, it says the word is near me. It's in my heart and it's coming out of my mouth. This word of faith that we preach, Paul says. So as you go throughout your day speaking the word of God, it produces faith in the hearers. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. So sanctification, being set apart for the master's use comes as a result of us having the mind of Christ. And this causes sensitivity to the things of God. Your spirit, what are we talking about? Your spirit and now your soul becomes conscious of God. See, sin dulls your consciousness. Sinful and unrighteous behavior dulls you. But when you realize, and you can now reckon yourself dead to sin, as Romans 6 says, now you're able, you realize, I'm dead to sin but alive to righteousness, and now sin will no longer dominate me. Now I meditate in the Word day and night. I fill my spirit, and I, I, the Holy Spirit brings revelation to my heart of His Word. He etches his word on my heart. And then I, the spirit man that I am, communicate that word to my mind. And now the renovation of my mind starts happening. And now I start thinking different. And my life is transformed. What, what that means is, is literally as Jesus was transfigured, he wants us to be transfigured. It's the Greek word metamorpho, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which means what's on the inside, who you really are, starts showing up on the outside. All of a sudden, you're not moved the way you used to be moved. 
things that messed you up don't even mess with you anymore because you know you're being constantly strengthened in the Lord and in the power of his might. Why am I talking about all this? Because if we don't know who we are, it's because we don't know who he is. We'll never have an effective prayer life. Right? This is very, very important. So, when you do this, when you're sensitive to the things of God, when you realize that God has set me apart, it's not by chance where I live and, and what at time. Uh, I mean, you're, we're living at the end of the church age. God puts you in, in this time. He has a plan for your life. He has a plan for Omaha. He has a plan for these surrounding areas. He has a plan for America and for the world. And it's not, it's not to be a godless society. He wants to awaken his children to bring revival so that we pray heaven down in this earth. Because the kingdom's here. And the kingdom just needs to expand. But God says, as truly as I live, saith the Lord, my glory will fill this earth as the waters cover the seas. Well, what is that? The glory of God comes as a result. See, when God puts his grace in you, what comes out of your life is his glory. So that glory is the church. It's really wonderful. And it shows the world Jesus. See, when you do this, when you're set apart, this empowers you to pray the heartfelt, fervent prayer, Lord, help me give myself to others in the same way that you gave yourself to me. And that will ignite every fiber of who you really are. Oh, if you live in your flesh, you'll just be all about you. You'll get mad when they, people cut you off on the highway. You'll get mad when people cut in front of you and in line at a grocery store because it's just all about you. But when you start to see things as they really are, you start to become more concerned and you sit in a restaurant and you see all these people and you're overwhelmed in spirit that most of these people don't know God or they have a wrong picture of who he is. And now you get up every morning and you're like, Lord, use me. I understand I'm your hands. I'm your mouth. And so that'll get you in that secret place, praying out the will of God for your life so that your steps are ordered. Isn't that good news? This is so important. Fervency compels us to instantly give ourselves to prayer as the Holy Spirit directs. When you get fervent, now you're sensitive. And when he says, okay, we're praying, you, you're instantly able to give yourself over to that. You don't have to tone your flesh down. You're ready. In other words, you're stirred. God wants you, here's the deal. If you've been around me a little bit, you probably think I'm a little stirred, Right? Laurel, you've been around me for a while, just a little bit, right? She fell in love with me. It only cost me an ice cream cone when she was about nine years old. It was wonderful. I became Uncle Tony, who's her pastor. But you know, it's pretty stirred about the things of God for many years. What is that? So see, I, say, I stay stirred, and then when he pulls me away to pray, I'm ready. Right now, I know how to shut the flesh off. I know how to keep it down. 
right? I'm prepared. The Holy Spirit will always keep you proactive, not reactive. Most people's prayer, and, and, and guys, I've written every book you could write on this one. I've went to the concert, even bought the t-shirt about I'm an idiot being reactive in my life. The bulk of my prayer life growing up as a teenager was God, please help me play a great basketball game tonight. I mean, people are dying and go to hell all around me and all I care about is I want to score a lot of points. I don't really care about the rebounds or the assist thing, but I really want to score a lot of points. Right? I'd really like to dunk like that guy. What the heck, you know? But, but that was my whole prayer life and then... I was on my own in California as a young teenage guy. I'm in high school trying to work to live. I'm my own guardian, all this stuff. I'm, in, I'm a senior in high school. And so now I became up to here. All my whole prayer life was, God, you got to help me. Because, man, I'm, I'm working at four McDonald's. Southern California is real expensive. And guess what? My parents gave me a little bag of groceries and paid $185 for my one month to rent a room. And I knew I'm homeless if I don't make it. So circumstances, literally, I became so flesh-ruled that all I'm thinking about is myself. Guys, God will get you out of that to where now you are literally, he, he stirs you to pray and he'll take you from where you are. Oh, don't trust me. He'll take care of everything in your life. When you make yourself available to him and get sensitive for him, he will make sure that everything's taken care of. You'll find yourself giving more than you used to make. You'll find yourself living in places that you would might have never dreamed to live in, but you won't, it won't have you. And now he has you to where, man, he could pull me away and I could get fervent to pray about what's going on in France, what's going on in Egypt, what's going on, right? What's going on in South Omaha or North Omaha. He can stir me to pray for the people of, of this church. And what happens is you tap into who you really are. It's wonderful. In the temple, we see was the holy place. And this is where most believers live. They live in the holy place. The veil, there was a veil in the temple that separated the holy place from the most holy place where the presence of God was. Well, guess what? We have a veil. It's called our flesh. And your flesh will keep you out of that holy of holies. So this is why we gotta, we gotta let the Holy Spirit Lead us out of that. He'll do it step by step. When he puts his finger on a part of your flesh, you give it to him. You don't, have to, you don't have to figure out how to work that out. And then all of a sudden, when you're free and you're strong in that area, you'll be thinking, man, I finally came through. This was awesome. And then he'll go, oh, by the way, this area. And then you'll start feeling really good because you know, you've been through like eight or nine areas and you start to think, man, I'm doing really good and then he'll show you another area. Right? But after a while, you're just like, yeah, take it. Man, you know what? I, I, I knew there was an area and now that you're showing it to me, oh man, I am so good. You start to go, oh, this area? Oh, great, I'm gonna get free in this area too? Because he's so good. This is so important.
The veil is our flesh. The Holy of Holies is where God wants you and I to live. But not many choose to go there. It's called the secret place. It's where God, it's hard to talk about, it's where God will talk to you about things that he won't say to anybody else. It's specific to your life. And he'll show you things about him. And you'll get to know him. And it, he's irresistible. And it causes you to hunger and thirst after him. And it becomes more him and less you. And the more of him and the less of you there is, the more who you, you know who you are because you know who he is. This is the place, this is the place of prayer. It's wonderful. I had no idea I was going to get into all this. God wants you and I to live under his very nature. He wants us to just live there so that his nature literally stirs us and, and we just know him. You know, John 17, what does it say? Salvation is knowing him and his son who Jesus sent. That's what salvation is. You know, prosperity is not money. Prosperity is who you know. It's knowing that God's your provider. Divine healing is not when the sickness leaves your body. No, no, this is all done. It's knowing God is your healer and that you'll never face anything that's, that's bigger than him. He's your deliverer. That man, when the enemy comes out against you, you know that enemy's going to flee seven times. You stand at the beginning of the story of this circumstance and you rejoice because you already know the end of the story. You don't, you're never moved by a doctor's report because you already have the final report. A doctor's report is a preliminary report. But we already know the final report. Surely Jesus bore my sickness and carried my pain. So that's a three-second prayer. Father, I'm calling for my healing. Right? I'm asking you. I'm making a demand. I require it, Father. There's some symptoms in my body. I know it's a satanic attack. And so, Father, I just believe I receive. According to what? Galatians 3.13. He redeemed me from the curse of the law, sickness and disease. According to 1 Peter 2.24. By whose stripes I was healed. According to Matthew 8.17. He himself bore my sickness and carried my pain. Right? I mean, I could go according to Psalm 107.20. He sent his word and healed, healed me. I was healed before I was ever born. Way before I was ever sick. And so this is, and there's stuff for every part of our life, but then we can get to the more important things. Like winning this world so that we can go home. Right? There's some nice places on this earth. But there's not a beach like there is in heaven. Right? I mean, the Pacific Ocean is nice. I don't know about the Atlantic. There's always a counterfeit. No, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. <laughs> so fervency compels us to instantly give ourselves to prayer as the Holy Spirit directs. So go to that holy place. Choose to go there. So turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 4. 
I want you to see just a quick picture, and then we're going to get into what I really want to get into. Colossians chapter 4, verse 12 and 13. I want you to see just an example of fervency in someone's life, and then we're going to jump back and we're going to talk about how to get fervent. In Colossians 4, verse 12, it says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, salutes you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. For I bear him record that he has a great zeal for you and them that are in Laodicea and them in Hierapolis. Do you see this Epaphras' zeal? He labors fervently for you in prayer. See, I, I know this about Epaphras. This is a guy that got over himself. This is a guy who literally is sensitive to the things of God. He sees things as they really are. He's not about himself, so he is literally living in Zoe life. So I wanted to show you that picture. So now, let's jump back and let's go to Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And we're going to talk more about fervency. Romans 12, 1. It says here, verse 1, Romans chapter 12, I beseech you, therefore, brethren... Literally, Paul, what he was doing was calling them out to be separate from the world. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So let's break this down. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present. This Greek word present means to yield. It means to present in a spirit of sacrifice. What do we present? Our bodies. Ouch. Here we go. A living sacrifice. Now, it's really crazy that Paul, who's a Pharisee, is talking about a living sacrifice because he was a Pharisee. He could quote the whole Old Testament. He knew Hebrew, right? He knew Hebrew. He could quote the whole Old Testament. He knew everything about every sacrifice. And this was a paradox because there's no such thing in the Old Testament as a living sacrifice. Sacrifices were all dead. There's just something about cutting your body in half that causes you not to be alive, right? <laughs> but we're to be living sacrifices. We know it's a living sacrifice because it will hurt. Your flesh, don't be concerned about it. Your flesh will live and not die. But your spirit will love every minute of it. So sacrifices were dead. What's he talking about? A living sacrifice. In reality, a living sacrifice is still dead because we're dead to sin. We're dead to the sin nature. That's what Jesus did for us. So keep this in mind as we go through this. Holy, acceptable to, unto God. This word holy literally means sanctified. This is the work of sanctification. Being a living sacrifice is, a wor is the work of sanctification in your life. If you don't 
want to present your bodies a living sacrifice, you won't get very far in prayer. You won't get very far growing up spiritually. You won't get very far in anything, right? So in other words, I'm so glad you came tonight, Pastor, great. This is not an option. You know, we're, we're American Christians with the emphasis on American, right? It's all about us, and we have all these options. If I have a headache, gosh, it's almost confusing. What medication do I take, right? If I get sick, do I want to go into the CHI system, the Methodist system? I mean, I got all these options. I got a really busy schedule today. I don't really have time to read the Bible. We give ourselves an option. Oh, I don't, you know, I, I, don't, I don't need to go to church because, man, I can just sit at home. Kenneth Copeland's my pastor, right? Bill Winston's my pastor. Good luck with that, right? Especially when God says a foundation of your life is to be planted in a local body where the gifts inside of you will help that church go forward. Oh, wait. If you're coming to church for you, you're missing it. We don't do anything as Christians for us. Right? You think you work for that company for you, for a paycheck. No, no, no. No, God planted you there because you, they, they need light. There's people there that need, need to know. Right? It's, it's really a new way to live. Your work is to become a form of worship. It says, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Many translations translate this, and it's accurate, spiritual worship. So it is a form of worship. But this Greek word, reasonable service, literally means logic. Which is really strange unless you look at the whole context and you realize that what Paul is saying here, Paul is saying, guys, Present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice unto God, which is your logical progression. It's logical. See, it's logical when you have sickness in your body to believe that you receive your healing. Now, it might not seem natural because people are saying, well, you know, there's no cure for that. But in the Bible, it's a logical prog progression. Paul, the Holy Spirit, is telling us it's a logical progression for you and I as Christians to present our bodies in a spirit of sacrifice, a living and holy sacrifice, which is acceptable unto God, which is our, it's our logical progression. See, spiritual worship means what you reckon to be true. Right? So the example is, it's not logical for the natural mind to reckon yourself to be healed when you have symptoms of sickness or disease attacking your body. It's not natural, but you have to reckon it. In the same way, it's not natural for you when you just went home and yelled at your wife, kicked the dog, and did some behaviors, it's not natural for you to realize that you are the righteousness of God in Christ. But if you don't reckon yourself to be Satan will beat you up and go, oh, you dirty dog, you've done it again. And pretty soon, you will start withdrawing from God because you just know you're not worthy. Which is a lie because you've been made worthy because of Jesus, not you.
So this is why we got to get this one. It might not be a natural progression to believe that you're prosperous when you can't pay your bills, but it is the logical progression when you, said, when you see that he, was, he, was, he redeemed you from the curse of poverty and lack. So this is why, do you understand, we're setting the stage to believe God for what he's going to have you pray out and believe him for. It's so far beyond that he's got to get you in the right place. Does that make sense? See, if you know the principles of faith and how faith works, you can reckon yourself to be healed. If you know the principles of redemption, then you can reckon yourself to be dead to sin and alive to righteousness and stop beating yourself up for the wrong behavior, which is the road to changing your behavior. Right? Well, no, I mean, they even said that about Paul. Don't listen to this guy, the Judaizers. Don't listen to this guy. He's given everybody a license to sin. I mean, have you ever met anybody, starting with you, that needs a license to sin? No, 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 no. No, but how do we walk holy? When we realize and we walk in a revelation that I've been, I'm literally dead to sin. This sin nature's dead. It's just in my flesh, but it's not me. I'm a spirit. And when I reckon myself dead to sin and I start meditating on the fact that God loved me so much, he did all this for me, that will be the road to walking free from this sinful behavior and starting to walk holy. But you're not doing it in your own strength. You're relying on him. We are to yield our bodies as being dead to sin and alive to God. In other words, we're to live like we're dead. Okay? That's, that's core Bible. But if you know what God's word says about it, then it becomes logical. It becomes your reasonable service to believe that I'm healed, to believe that I'm forgiven, to believe that I've been made new, to believe that whenever I call out on the name of the Lord, he answers. That whenever I want, the door is open to this secret place. I can go in any time. That when I, when I allow my flesh to operate, I can run back and just go, hey, I confess that before you, the sinful and unrighteous behavior, and know that he forgives and cleanses. And when he cleanses you of all unrighteousness, guess what's left? Just righteousness. Right? Righteousness is not a robe. I grew up thinking it was a robe, the robe of righteousness. That sounds so cool. But, you know, you can take a robe off. If you're born again, you can't take righteousness off. You can't take it off. It's who you are. You, the Bible says you've been made the righteousness of God in Christ. Which means you are one spirit with him. How far does he have to go to hear you? Nowhere. He's in you. You're in him, right? This is good news. You make a one-time decision of this when you receive Christ and then you continue to do this daily. So for some believers, maybe tonight is that night. Okay, I'm making a one-time decision. 
I am going to, from this day forward, now, Father, you know, I have no idea what I'm even talking about, right? But I'm making a one-time decision. Your word tells me to present my body a living, holy sacrifice. So I'm doing it. I make a one-time decision, and then I continue to do this daily. How long? Oh, only for the rest of your life. That, that's what we do. The first thing, when, when you see Jesus face to face, you're going to be so excited. I mean, it's going to be great to see him. But when you step out of your body, you're just going to go, wow, this feels great. I no longer have problems with people. Like, if there's a Christian on this planet that does not like you, in heaven, they will like you. Everybody there gets over themselves. Right? It's so cool. It's going to be wonderful. But see, when does really eternal life start for us? When we get to heaven? Nope. I'm telling you, you could walk in it, but the, but the road is you got to make a decision. If you want the foundation of your prayer life, why am I, why am I taking all this time? I haven't even got into anything that I want to get into. But why am I taking all this time? Because if you don't see this, you'll never be able to lay, you're not laying, a, you're, you're, the foundation of your prayer life will not, it'll be about you and you'll miss it. Let me close. I didn't realize I was three minutes late. You yield your body by knowing who you are in Christ and then reckoning yourself dead to sin which is your reasonable service. You yield your body by knowing that you're in Christ and then you reckon yourself dead to sin. That word reckon means I account myself dead to sin. This is a living sacrifice. This is how we live a sanctified life. A one-time decision that you live out every day of your life Realizing this, Satan is always going to try to ignite your flesh for the purpose, one purpose, so that you're no longer a living sacrifice. Because the minute you, you allow yourself to climb off that altar and you're living out of your flesh, you're not receiving anything from the Lord anyway. Notice I didn't say he's not giving you anything. No, you can't receive it. He's already given it, right? Right? 